Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIP. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years of experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider. I also have an MBA in finance and I've been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And I'm Gordon Leopard, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates. Great day to be here today, guys. A good Saturday. It is a great Saturday, and we are excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. Yeah, you can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link in the top right-hand corner. Uh, You can also um, go to the dial if you're tooling around uh, in the CSRA, 1230 a.m. on the dial, and then we have our podcast. A little button over on the right, you click that, and it'll take you to another site, and it'll have um, you know past uh, shows, podcasts, and it's broken up into different segments. So yeah, you can listen to all the shows from the Money Doctors. Just make no it a excuse. day of the Money Doctors. Yeah, you can do the marathon, marathon? Money Doctors. I like it. I like it. <laughs> have some popcorn. Yeah. Have some food. Right. Lots of ways to listen to the Money Doctors, so no excuse. And do go check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Or you can, uh, you know, give us a call during regular business hours, too, 706-739-0725. Okay, guys, we have a great show lineup for the day, and I'm excited about it. We're going to talk about one of the things is the eight purchases that can save you big. Mm. There are some things you can buy that will actually save you money. You spend money to save money. Save, spend money to save money. Right, so like you've that. heard it said before, you got to have money to make money. Well, you know, in this case, you got to spend a little bit to make money. And so there are some, some good things you can buy. So we're going to talk about that and some ways just to practical ways to save money today. That's a good one. And then we're going to uh, go into another segment about um, making sure your your uh, your loved ones know about your accounts and policies. Make sure your beneficiaries are right. This is so important. There, we've got you know examples of where this has not been taken care of, and it creates a tremendous amount of stress, legal issues sometimes. So we're going to kind of go through a step-by-step um, uh, you know checklist of what you should do in your situation, some things you need to look at. That's right. And then in the last segment, we're going to take a, another look at Social Security strategies. Um, here recently, there's been some changes, and so we, we want to talk about those and some alternatives uh, that people can consider and look at uh, when, when making their Social Security choice because that's very important. Yeah, changes are, are coming. Very, yeah. very important. Yeah, you want to make sure you get that right. There's no, no do-overs on Social Security, not after a year. So uh, mm. we'll listen up for that. And we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the National Center for Health Statistics. And, um, guys, this is a, a growing trend. Um, you know, there are a lot of people, 48% of 118 million households in the United States have only wireless phones. I mean, they basically dropped their landline telephone. And, you know, I was when I was looking at this, I was remembering back in Columbia, back in the days, and, and it was when the Internet was first starting up, and I had to use the dial-up, and you had oh, that... Yeah. that 
that sound and it was AOL. Yep. Um, those days are long gone. <laughs> yes, they are. Nobody uses a modem anymore, do they? Yeah, a modem. What is that? Yeah, really. <laughs> so, that's yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a trend. And uh, I think you have some experience in that as well, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. We dropped our home phone line here um, a couple years ago and, and we just replaced it with an, and we added a cell phone to our, our cell phone package. And it only costs 10 bucks to do that a month. And you don't have all the add-ons and all that junk that mm-hmm. the, the home phone bill always did. So we went from $43 a month home phone line to, to $10 a month home phone that's now a cell phone that we can carry with us when we go on vacations. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty awesome. And not only to mention, we're saving almost $400 a, a year. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely the way to go. We kept one just because we wanted to have a, a, a trash number that you could put down. There's a lot of things where you actually have to put a number down mm-hmm. where they can reach it. Well, you start getting your cell phone number out there, and you start getting a bunch of solicitation calls on it. So that's the reason why we, we added one yeah, to our package. that's a good idea. Yeah, I was surprised 50% so. of America has done that. That's yeah, pretty it's, good. Definitely the wave of the future. I think the phone industry knows it, too. (laughs) All right, great fact of the week. And that leads up to our first topic here, and that is eight purchases that can save you big. Um, That's right. This is an article out of U.S. News and World Report. And, uh, you know, it's it's a great topic because sometimes you do have to buy something to save money. And, um, you know, if you're frugal, you might frequently find yourself worrying over purchases, asking yourself, you know, is this too expensive? But that may not necessarily be the right mindset. Sometimes the question should be something more like, you know, what value does this have to me once I buy it? You know, can this save me money? In fact, there are many purchases in cheap and expensive items alike that can save you money in the long run. So we're going to go over a few of these. Um, I think there's great. These are great because they can save you, you know, hundreds or even thousands of dollars over time. And uh, so you need to kind of have that mindset when you're buying something. Think about, you know, is this purely just just a, a something I want or is this something that may actually turn around and save me money? And, you know, how am I going to do that? So you want to have a purpose for your spending. <laughs> so, uh, all right. First one here on the list is a bike or a transit pass. Okay. I mean, I know in this area people don't really have transit passes but if you live in an area out there listening to us maybe on podcasts where you can forego a vehicle sometime you can possibly save thousands of of dollars a year um you just think if you had no more car payments or pricey repairs you went totally to a bike or a transit pass i mean that would that would be amazing you know And, and of course most people can't do that um you know, you can't manage without a car for occasional errands for most people. But uh, still, I mean, you know, even though that's not practical, having a bike around, you know, biking around the neighborhood, that still can save you big. Also, I mean, just consider uh, the health benefits. You know, if you start biking around the neighborhood, if you were biking, say, 12 miles a week, you'd burn enough calories to lose about a pound a month. Hmm. You know, within just a few months, I mean, you could see significant health benefits, and the health benefits alone would save you a lot in medical costs down yeah. the road. Two for one on that one. You get a two for one on that one, no kidding. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, so think about alternative modes of transportation. 
You know, that's a big one that has the potential to save you save you lots of money. Yeah, maybe also ride sharing. You see people that go out to the site and other exactly. places that uh, can ride share, still have the car, but maybe not as much wear and tear and gas. Yeah, just carpooling. That's that's <coughs> yep. exactly right. <clears throat> so it's right in that same vein. Yeah. That's a good one. Next one here on the list is a TV streaming device. And, you know, all this talk about canceling your cable is great uh, if you still have a way to watch the TV on your TV. And thankfully, there's a lot of great options out there for streaming devices, uh, like for uh, services like Netflix. Netflix and Hulu um, into your living room TV. There's Apple TV, Roku, um, Amazon Fire. They're all options to, ch- to check out. Now, there is a one-time investment, usually between $50 and $100, um, but the cable bills now average about $125 a month, so it can save you significant dollars. We use Netflix, um, which is a great, uh, you know, tons of options. Yeah, Kathy watches TV every single night on her computer, on her laptop. What does she, she use? Does- she, you know, I think she the shows she watches, I think she can watch all the past shows mm-hmm. um, just straight off the Internet. Hmm. So I don't think she has to pay anything because it's network network shows. Like Gilligan's Island or? Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if it's <laughs> NC, NCIS maybe oh, okay. one of them. Right. I'm, I'm not sure what shows she watches, but, man, that's it. That's the only way she wow. watches TV. Cool. And uh, she likes it better because the screen's right there in front of her. She can see it better. And, you know, it's a big full laptop screen and uh but yeah i mean with prices for netflix and hulu plus hovering around eight dollars each getting one of those devices can add up to thousands of dollars in savings in just a few years we also watch amazon prime all the time on our roku and you know if you have a smart tv they usually have that built in now Hmm. where you can see amazon the prime you can see netflix and things like that that are connected through the internet so um, there are tons of shows that are included in the normal Amazon Prime price. So if you have fast Internet at home, that really is the wave of the future, and it can save you thousands of dollars. That's a great, great one there. All right, the next one here on the list is an espresso machine or a coffee pot. Now, you know, if you're one of those people that you just won't give up going to the coffee shop because you don't want to switch to the drip coffee at home, you can still save big by buying your own espresso machine. And, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a higher initial investment than a coffee pot, but, you know, what features you're looking for on an espresso machine can can make a big difference. You can buy one for as cheap as $100, or, of course, you can go all the way up to $1,200. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, get yeah. let's don't do that one. I don't think that'd be a lot of espresso. Um, you better be selling some espresso then. Exactly. So, But, I mean, make your own coffee. You know, you just buy the coffee and the milk. I mean, you can if you're buying a $4 latte $250 times a year, that's $1,000 on its own that you're spending and you're not even buying the coffee every day of a week to go with that, maybe. So, you know, you got to get off that train. Um, so how about just give up the espresso, drink coffee with a little whipped cream in it. Either way, you can save a bundle if you get serious about not killing it at the coffee shops every day. In general, you know, it, there's if there's anything you do every single day that you buy, um, every single week, perhaps, um, besides groceries and gas, then you need to find an alternative like this. There's probably a lot. There's a lot of money leaching out of your your wallet, mm-hmm. bleeding. Yeah. In those daily trips to the coffee shop. What's the other one that we have in the in the office? The um, yeah, we Keurig. have the Keurig. Keurig yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a great alternative yeah. as well. So it is. It yeah. is. I mean, that's a little more pricey than your own, you know, drip coffee maker. But still, you know, for fifty cents a, a cup. Yeah. 
you know, that's a lot cheaper it's than not 1200 It's in exactly. a couple hundred, maybe. Exactly. So, yeah, that's a good one. All right, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call during regular business hours, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the eight purchases that can save you big. Um, yeah, guys, I mean, there sometimes you have to spend money to save money. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I like uh, these. Yeah, I mean, so these are things that you can buy that over time will actually save you money because it gives you an alternative to what you're doing now. And uh, the first one we talked about here on the list was a bike or a transit pass. If you live in a big city, it's a no-brainer. You know, you use the subway, the transit pass, um, and that would save you a ton of money if you could stop using the car. Yeah, but even for folks around here, if you own a bike and you can, you know, go around your neighborhood, go up to the grocery store, you know, something simple like that, not only are you saving the driving around part, but you're also you're, you're increasing health benefits. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some side benefits to yeah, that. Yeah, no doubt. If you were driving, if you were biking 12 miles a week, you'd burn enough calories to <clears throat> to save, uh, to lose about a pound a month. And there's going to be some significant health benefits to that. The other one we talked about was a, a TV streaming device. You know, Kathy watches all her TV, my wife, on the computer. And... Um, you know, so if you could drop your cable, that would be a big deal. And they, they estimate that the average cable price now is $125 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you can drop that and go down to to just, you know, streaming TV, uh, I have no doubt if it weren't for me in the household, that's what Kathy would do. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and uh, that'd be a big saving. So you might want to consider that one. Then the espresso machine, coffee pot we talked about. You know, if you can stop those regular trips to the coffee shop, the donut shop, um, on the way to work every day, uh, you're going to you're gonna save a lot of money. I was going to say, and the health benefits along with that as well, the donut shop. <laughs> exactly, yeah. The health benefits are big. So anyway, so that leads up to our next one here. That's right. Number four is Crock-Pot. Now, you know, these can be golden. You know, grabbing a, a takeout uh, those nights when you're really, really rushed or exhausted, um, too exhausted to cook, Man, that those expenses can add up quick, and it costs even more if you're ordering delivery, you know, because you have to tip out uh, to whoever's delivering to you. But if you have a crock pot, all you need to do is throw some simple ingredients uh, in there before you go to work, and you can come home to a fresh, hot meal for a fraction of the cost of what it would, you know, cost you to go out to eat. Yeah, probably healthier too. Most of the time, yeah. You know, yeah. That's exactly right. Most people have a crock pot. It's probably just under the cabinet somewhere, and Some they forget about it. So, <laughs> Well, we use ours, especially during during the cooler months. Mm-hmm. Man, those are great. So if nothing else, just remember where it's at, pull it out, and start using it. You and know make sure I mean? it works. Exactly. <laughs> or you'll come home to a cold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, yeah, besides the food savings, I mean, crock pots use a fraction of the energy it costs to heat up the entire oven, and they don't heat up the entire kitchen on the hot summer days, you know, so they save on the AC bill that's as right. well. So, so yeah, that's a no-brainer. That's a good one. 
Um, another one here is the programmable thermostat. You know, it amazes me how many times I'll go into somebody's house, one of my friend's house, and they their, their thermostat's just one of the old kind where you move the, mm-hmm. you know, or your parents' house. You know, they never change the thermostat. Um, you know, programmable thermostats, they allow you to automatically change the temperature based on time of the day, um, which means you use a lot less energy to heat or cool your house. You know, when we're not home, ours automatically about 8.30 in the morning, it goes up to 82. Mm-hmm. So the house just heats up in the middle of the day. Well, that Remember the app that John talked about several weeks ago? Yeah, the Nest, Nest yeah, and Ecobee. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things we we're going to mention here. I mean, that's... That that's a big one, you know, and that one actually learns your habits. That's right. And so that's a that's a step above the programmable thermostat. But just a simple, cheap programmable thermostat for fifty bucks will save you around one hundred eighty dollars a year, according to the EPA. So you know, if you have multiple units, you can see that could add up pretty quick. I, I bet you it's more oh, yeah. than that. I mean, I see people that keep their air on during the day at like seventy three in like July. Yeah. It's like now that's crazy, man. You're gonna have a huge, and they do have a huge bill four or five hundred dollar electric bill for no, like a medium sized house. And I'll add to that just a fan, <laughs> ceiling fans. Right. You know, will save you money. Just having a little fan in the Circulate kitchen there. if you get hot, rather than turn down the whole air conditioning, just turn the fan down low. You know, on low. Um, circulate some air around. That's a that's a great way to do it. But yeah, these new Nest thermostats really are kind of the wave of the future, where they learn your habits, they adjust over time to save you money, and you can connect them to the internet. They are connecting the internet, so your smartphone you can you can even from getting up in your couch you can change it by the smartphone. Um, <laughs> that's not healthy. Yeah, that's not that's, not, that's anti-healthy. <laughs> exactly, but just very cool technology. It's going to change the way we operate our houses for years to come. Yeah, so that is neat. Wave of the future. Another another one on the list here is reusable water bottles. I mean, this is a great idea. If you're, you know, spending $6 on a case of uh, bottled water a week, that adds up to over $300 a year. And reusable uh, bottles can save you hundreds or even thousands of dollars over the course of a year, depending on the size of your family and and how much you drink. Um, You know, that might not sound like a lot of savings, but if you're serious about it, you can save a bundle simply by ordering water when you eat out as well, right? I mean, you can combine this. huge. Yeah, I had had a, a gentleman and his family went through um, FPU a couple years ago, and they tracked it, and they figured out they were spending two thousand dollars a year on Just sodas on and teas. Wow! And, you know, because you have tax and oh, yeah. tip, and you have yeah, four yeah. people, and you eat out four nights a week, and you adds know, up. So it, yeah, if you eat out a lot, you can kill it on drinks. And I have friends we go out and you know and, and eat maybe once a week into a nicer restaurant, and they like to go to, and <clears> man, they just kill it on wine and. Yeah. Like, you know, cokes and diet cokes and, and seven dollars like, a cup oh, or something. It's just yeah. painful. To well, see. and especially at some of the nicer restaurants, they don't realize that many times you get charged per drink. You don't always get free refills, even on the cokes. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah, but they did the wine thing, so it's just <laughs> ooh, man. It's just it, they are really killing it. <laughs> and then they always have to have the extra with it, you know, the diet coke and then the coffee and ouch. Okay. Anyway, the next one here on the list is uh, personal finance books. Um, yeah, we're all about this. I mean, for for all the money that they can help you save you, personal finance books are worth a lot more than their cover price. I mean, which book you start with kind of depends on, you know, what matters to you, what's important to you. We have Remit, uh, Seth, Sethy's um, I Will Teach You to Be Rich book, which is a great place to start. Dave Ramsey's books, of course, um, Total Money Makeover is a great one. Uh, Gary Belisky and uh, Thomas uh, Gilvelich. Gilvelich Okay, I won't even try that. Why Smart People Make 
big money mistakes. That's another one really helps you understand the psychology behind your money decisions. And these are all great options. And if you want to go beyond saving money and starting to make money on the side, uh, U.S. News & World Report, they have a, a book out, Kimberly Palmer's uh, The Economy of You, which is a fantastic resource as well for for making money on the side. Oh, yeah. And, and with that same thought in mind, you know, if you have a hobby, something that you're really good at, you know, that might not be a bad idea uh, to turn into a side job. You know, it has the potential to to pay for its cost and then some sometimes uh, okay but in the same respect you need to be you need to be honest with yourself yes, here you do. Uh, as you go through this i'm not gonna i'm not gonna fool myself and say hey i'm gonna be a professional golfer so i'm gonna play three or four times a week Steve would probably concur with that yeah. uh, assessment of my, I would agree my golf with that. skills that's, that's good you know? yeah. you're honest okay so i'm being yourself. honest with myself there you know but but if you are good at something, woodworker, you know, something like that, then it might be something that you can produce some income on. Yeah, I would say even if you're a three handicapper, uh, you need to be honest <laughs> and say, you know, you're not going to be a pro golfer, uh, Gordon. So trust me on that. Yeah, Thanks, I mean, exa- examples of equipment you might buy might include like a DSLR camera, you know, a nice camera, woodworking tools or a sewing machine. But, you know, you only make big purchases like that if you have some experience with the hobby and you're sure that you can make the money back. You know, it's it's not going to be a good investment if you can't go out there and, and make the money back. So you have to be careful before you buy a big piece of equipment and then, you know, discover that you're not interested in turning your hobby into the business that you thought you were. So just be careful there. Unfortunately, that's what happens more times than not. Um but, yeah, those are the purchases that can save you big, and uh, that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yes, uh, I met with a couple a couple weeks ago, and I'm sure you guys see this periodically. Um, uh, so the question is, is um, you know, my husband and I have separate checking accounts. Should we just have one? And, you know, when I, when I hear that question or see that um, situation, I always think about Dave Ramsey, and he basically says, you know, it's not a joint venture. <laughs> Uh, you know, and you have two sets of books, it's one. And um, so I, I personally believe in one. Tammy and I have always had one. I do see, we see blended families that come together, um, that they do keep it separate. And um, obviously that's a very personal choice. I don't think it's as, it's as efficient. And um, I think it's more difficult when you have two sets of budgets going on because it makes the communication that much more difficult. So we, we recommend one, but, um, you know, it, you can be successful with two. It's just harder. Yeah, clearly, I think um, having one checkbook and considering all, you know, your joint money is is a better option to go. Having said that, everybody's different, and you know, we actually have two checkbooks, and for convenience, she has hmm, she has that. she carries one, and I carry one, but they're they're joint counts, and, and yeah. we we don't consider it her money, my money, you know, yeah, right. it's all our money. We just we just have two different check checking account well and as long as you you know talk and converse and do budgets and so forth but i do see you know when it's separate a lot of times it's it, my paycheck more, my cha- paycheck and you know their paycheck and it's just not yeah it doesn't tie together and it gets so. more complicated too to keep track yeah, of all that so sure. one is definitely the way to go so good uh, question of the week and that leads up to our break here but if you have questions for us you can email us at info at moneymd.net Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. And Gina News. Stay with us. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are continuing our next segment here with um, a new topic, and that is uh, beneficiaries. Telling your beneficiaries about your accounts and your policies, um, yeah. you know, that's a very, very important topic. Yeah, this is comes from Marketing Pro um, uh, resource that we have. And, uh, you know, guys, I've talked about this before. This is a, a topic near and dear to my heart. Lost a brother-in-law in 2001 and um, didn't have anything documented. And I remember sitting at their computer um, s- scrolling through, looking at anything I could find, past files, registers and so forth to see what they had and it was mm-hmm. excruciating so i was up upstairs all by myself i just remember it was like it was yesterday but it's been obviously many years now and uh it was a very difficult time you know not only obviously losing we lost him like overnight he was in a car wreck but then financially trying to figure out you know what does his six month old and his wife have as a resource and they wow. didn't know. So, wow. you know, when you start talking about this stuff, you know, it, it, things do happen. Um, you know, so you got to make sure that you that you talk to your heirs. Um, you know, will your assets go where they want to want to go, where you want them to go? you got to document some things as well. So kind of a dual purpose here. But, you know, if you have proper uh, estate planning and, and a will in place, you know, the, the likely answer to your assets going where they want is, is yes. Uh, the beneficiary forms that you have filled out on your IRA, your workplace retirement plan, your life insurance policy may give you more confidence about the eventual transfer of your wealth. But one concern still remains. you got to tell your heirs that these documents exist. And that's one of the issues. You know, it's it's documenting and making sure you follow through this, but then you have to communicate to the other parties. Yeah, that's right. But that doesn't mean you have to share all the details about the documents or the accounts. Um, If you've decided that some of the heirs will maybe get more of your wealth than others, then you can keep that quiet about the decision as long as you live. I mean, you don't want to tell your heirs the – if you don't want to tell your heirs the essentials of those details, that's fine. I mean, they should – know that you have a will and and or an estate plan and they should understand that you know you've named beneficiaries for your retirement accounts your investment accounts your insurance policies and so you know if they're involved in that they, they probably should know mm-hmm. a little bit of the details but not all the details right Th- that and and you should also take time to review the beneficiary decisions because you know things they change over time you know as an example say you um, say you opened an ira back in the late 1990s or something like that your life has probably changed quite a bit since then uh you know were you single then and are you married now were you married then or are you single now mm-hmm. uh, have you become a parent since then you know if you answer yes to any of these uh, you should really take the time uh, to take a look at the IRA beneficiary form now and your, your choices they might they might need to change yeah it's good to review yeah. it periodically well, we see people that have wills that have done them 20 years ago and, right man Definitely. so many things have changed so so here's a quick look at um, beneficiary decisions and how they play out in some of the most popular retirement accounts one of them is um, the employer sponsored retirement plan aka the the 401k um, and these are governed by the employee retirement income security act also known as ERISA and um, that rules that the uh, late um, if the late account holder was married the surviving spouse is entitled to 
at least 50% of the account assets. And that applies even if another person has been designated as a primary beneficiary. So, you know, in such a case, the, the spouse and the primary beneficiary may split the assets 50-50. Um, the spouse can waive their right. I mean, we, we have seen that before. Uh, they'll, they can waive their right. They have to sign a form, a spousal waiver form, saying, hey, I don't want any of this. Um, and a spouse usually has to be older than 35 for this to be allowed. And these rules also apply to other types of ERISA-governed retirement assets, such as pension plan accounts and corporate-owned life insurance. So, again, 401Ks, you may put someone else as a beneficiary, but the law says that the spouse gets 50% of it. And there have been Supreme Court rulings that um, basically guide this. So this is uh, in case law, and, and that's how it's done. If one participant, if a participant in one of these retirement accounts remarries, the new husband or wife is entitled to fifty percent of those assets at death as well. So, you know, you know, going to what you're saying, if you're changing, um, you know, if you're changing partner's life, someone passes away, um, you know, you got to understand these rules a little bit because it impacts kids, you know, grandkids, and certainly your spouses as well. And and again, if you remarry, that new spouse gets fifty percent um, of the account as well, even even if someone else is the beneficiary associated with it. Yeah, now IRAs are a little bit different. Um, Unlike an employer-sponsored retirement plan, a spouse does not have automatic beneficiary rights with an IRA, and that's because IRAs are governed under state laws rather than under ERISA. So one interesting estate planning aspect of an IRA rollover is that the new owner of the, the IRA has the freedom to name anybody as the primary beneficiary they want without spousal consent. So a little bit different with IRAs. So once you roll that over, they're free to name whoever they want to as the beneficiary. You know, and the same thing goes with a life insurance policy. You know, the death proceeds, they go to the named beneficiary. And occasionally a beneficiary may not know that the policy even exists. You know, that's where you hear about some of these windfalls sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um Recently, 60 Minutes, they did a piece on the insurance industry, and major insurers had withheld more than $7.5 billion uh, in life insurance proceeds from beneficiaries. They had a contractual reason for doing so. They said that the beneficiaries had never stepped forward to file the claims. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess they don't have to reach out to the beneficiaries and try to locate them? (laughs) That sounds like... You know the technicality that they were seven point five billion. <laughs> that would change some lives out there. Yeah, That's a they, lot. they really need to force them to go yeah. out and try to find the beaches rather than just hanging on to that money. I think that's, I agree. that should be illegal. Yeah, and you know a lot of these policies involved were valued at ten thousand or less, but there were some on there were over a million dollars, and uh, the deceased poly policyholders had either failed to tell their heirs about the policies or misplaced the copies and the paperwork and the, you know the heirs did not know or know how to claim the money as a result the insurance proceeds they lay unclaimed for years and the insurers only now feel the pressure to pay out the benefit. So, you know, make sure you update your bene- beneficiaries. Let your heirs know how vital these forms are. Make sure that your your beneficiary designations and decisions on retirement, brokerage, college, life insurance suit your uh, your your objectives and kind of what your goal is. <clears throat> and I'll just add a, a side note on this, and we've talked about this before: is have a um, you know, I, I talk to folks now about doing a a net worth statement. It's just where you have your assets and liabilities, and you can kind of track both of them. Put account numbers and put phone numbers on that net net worth statement. That way, it's a one page summary. You can put it in a lockbox. 
Um, it's a way that people can know what accounts that you have, you know, when you do die, because everybody's going to pass away, right? So you got to make sure you communicate that and you track it as well, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, and that leads us up here to um, prescription. Our prescription of the week. Prescription of the week. Well, it kind of it's kind of tied to the financial fact a little bit, right? Drop your Definitely. home phone. Yeah, that's exactly right. And use your cell phone. Yeah, and that's ex- just like we mentioned earlier um, when we were talking about the financial fact of the week. That's exactly what we did, and we, we recommend folks do that out there. Um, why pay for a home phone? If you add on all the taxes and all the add-ons that your local phone company tax on to it, you're going to pay $40 a month or more. We were paying like $43 a month. No. We- can you keep your home phone number? Yes. Okay. That's the key. We transferred a home phone number now. Right. It's, it's totally portable. We transferred it to our our new cell phone that we added onto our cell phone plan. Who, who's your cell phone? It's Verizon. Verizon. Okay. Only cost us ten bucks a month. Okay. We're just sharing our minutes. Phone. We use it at all. Yeah, it's just a little tiny free phone. Okay. We got the free phone, no data. Okay. Just just a little bit of texting. We share hmm. our texting and voice minutes. And uh, it costs us ten bucks a month. We can carry it with us on vacation now, so it's great in that sense. You can, if you ever want to check messages from your home phone. Yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. Tame and I bought a um, phone card back in the '90s, and this is when you had long distance, right? And the phone card, I don't know, had like two thousand minutes on it. And when you priced it out, it was only like three cents a minute. Some, you know, really, really huge savings versus fifty cents a minute back in the '90s. We still had that phone card with probably 600 minutes left on it. But, I mean, it's amazing. Yep. We talk about, you know, there's a lot of negativity about, you know, the economy and, and the future. But you look at technology, how it changes over, you know, 5, 10, 20 years. We can't – we don't know what's going to be different in 20 years from now. That's exactly and right. And it's usually pretty positive. It makes things more efficient in most cases. So it certainly does, um, yeah. It's a great prescription of the week. And, it's a, and I'm going to go uh, and implement that now. Yeah, drop your home yeah. phone. On the landline, you don't need that thing. Just transfer your number and add up add a cell phone if you still need the number at all. Yeah. But uh, we chose to that's do why, that. That's why we haven't done it. We because we've been in our house for you know over a decade now, and you right. know that's the number we've always used. So there you go. We'll, yeah, keep we'll the it. number, drop the phone. Number to loyalty there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call during regular business hours, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is a financial advisor, Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are going to uh, start off our last segment here talking about Social Security strategies. Um, yeah, this is a very, very important topic. You know, today's baby boomers that are retiring today. You know, they they got to make some important decisions about when to take Social Security, and it's not as simple as it sounds. No, a lot of people just think, you know, you take it at sixty two, sixty six, or sixty seven. That's it, and that's pretty much it. Nobody would delay to age seventy. Well, you know, there's a lot more complication to that, and there's a lot of benefit to making a really wise decision about what to do with that because it can make 
hundreds of thousands of dollars of difference over your lifetime, you know, depending on what you do and, and how long you live, you know. That's right. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to take a look at that uh, throughout this uh, article here. Um, in two, back in 2015, Bipartisan Budget Act killed the file and suspend uh, strategy. And, you know, that didn't totally end the smart Social Security election options. Um, but it did make people have to reconsider a few things. You know, because exactly. some people were they were they were set on that strategy, and so now they had to kind of take a step back and reconsider a few things. But you know, if you and your spouse were born on or before January first of nineteen fifty four, meaning you are both sixty two years of age or older as of January one two thousand sixteen, and both qualify for Social Security benefits, this strategy could work uh, for you. Now it's called the restricted application. Um, but it's more accurately described as a spousal claiming strategy. And Steve, how does how does this particular strategy work? Yeah, well, like we've discussed before, you know, on previous shows, I mean, when you're claiming Social Security benefits, you have three basic options. Okay, guys, I mean, you can claim your benefits at age 62 with a penalty up to about 25 percent of your full benefits for taking it early. Right. Um, depends on your age, of course, too, as to how much the benefit is. But then you can also claim your benefits at full retirement age, which is now 66 or 67, depending on when you were born. That's with no penalty, so you get your full benefit. Or you can delay your benefits all the way up to age 70. And when you delay, every year you delay, you're adding about 8% per year to your benefit. So, so you can delay. Um, so when you use the restricted application, uh, you you get the the valuable fourth option that allows you to claim spousal benefits without having to claim your own Social Security benefits yet. So you can file off of your spouse instead of on your own benefits. That's right. Yeah, and, and not only will you max out your Social Security benefit by delaying it to, to age 70, but you'll also get income while you wait for it to mature. And essentially, you're getting paid extra to wait and let that grow. Okay, well, let's let's take a, a look at an example uh, here. Jack and Jill are married and just happen to be born on the exact same day. Uh, today is their 66th birthday, and they are ready to retire now uh, that they have both uh, reached that full retirement age. Um, Jack was an engineer at a large company, and Jill was a school teacher at a local high school. And Jack's Social Security benefit uh, was is going to be $2,400 a month, and Jill's is going to be $2,000 a month. Their initial plan was to claim their full benefits as is, and just call it a day, you know, kind of like what you were talking about. Uh, right. Really weren't going to look into it too much, and they were just saying, hey, this is what we're getting paid, and we're going to take it there. But let's take a look at um, at how the use of the restricted application strategy would actually boost their retirement income. Yeah, so if they took their full benefits... Um, they would receive $4,400 a month, or about $57,000 per year, and that'd be for the remainder of the retirement. They continue to see that $4,400 a month, right? 2000 for Jill and 2400 for Jack. Um, but, you know, what happens if Jack uses the restricted application, if he delays his benefits until age 70 and then claims a spousal benefit, which would be 50% of Jill's full benefit instead, in the short term, Jack and Jill will obviously earn less. Um, but once Jack turns 70, he'll now be able, be able to begin his 
own Social Security benefit, and that would have increased from uh, uh, would have increased to thirty one hundred sixty eight dollars a month, meaning that the couple will now get four uh, fifty one hundred dollars a month instead of the forty four hundred dollars a month. Right. So it's about an extra seven hundred dollars per month they would get um, every single year for the rest of their lives because Jack delayed his benefit. And he just took that that spousal benefit for the four years from sixty six to age seventy. That means Jack and Jill will be earning an extra ninety two hundred dollars every single year. Um, so you know, so seeing how many retirees are living much longer today than they used to, that makes a lot of sense for for a lot of people. Um, over a 20- or 30-year retirement period. Yeah, and this restricted application strategy, it won't produce more total income until the 12th year of retirement. You know, so you're going to have to look at your, your personal situation, your family health history. But over 30 years, it winds up producing about 170000 um, of additional income, so a significant amount. And additionally, if we assume that Jill is going to outlive Jack, this also increases the survivor benefit for That's Jill, right. meaning yeah. she'll continue to to get that you know fifty one twenty eight as a widow. That's right. And keep in mind, you know that uh, retirement planning it it has its trade offs here. You know, not all strategies make sense for all couples, but it's important that you at least take the time. You know, Steve, like you were talking about to to um, look over your options. Otherwise, you might uh, just be missing out on tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars, again, like you mentioned, uh, that you could enjoy during retirement. Yeah, and I just want to reemphasize, I mean, $172,000 of additional benefit is huge. That's a lot of money. Right, that's a lot of money. And you get that simply by making a wise decision about how much I mean, when to take your Social Security, about claiming the spousal benefit. So let's say the couple needed that $4,400. You know, right. and they decided, hey, you know, this restricted application is something they were con- interested in. How would they get that additional income? Yeah, exactly. So you have options. So when that's part of retirement planning. I mean, mm-hmm. what you can do is you can look at your whole retirement picture and you can say, okay, I'll take that extra 40, I'll take that $4,400 or the extra income to make up the difference between the spousal benefit and his full benefit. They could take that out of their 401k right. money. So Which in you, this example would have been $1,400 a month. Yeah. So you take that extra $1,400 a month out of your 401k. Maybe you invest a little more conservatively while you're doing that. Right. And then you do that for four years. Then at age 70, you drop the, the, the withdrawal back down for $1,400, and you're actually getting a raise. Then you're taking more money out of your out of from Social Security. You're getting more from Social Security. Um, an extra, what would we say, seven hundred dollars per month. Mm-hmm. So you know, you just you just switch your income around, and and that's a way. And then at that point, you could actually go a little more aggressive with your four hundred one k. So it's part of all. It's all part of comprehensive retirement planning. You have to look at the whole picture, and you know, if it can make you an extra one hundred seventy two thousand dollars over your lifetime. It is worth getting a little more sophisticated and thinking hard about, you know, what you can do there. And like any investment strategy, you know, there are a variety of factors you have to consider. I mean, your pensions, your annuities, investments, your savings, your life expectancy, taxes, to name a few. So you have to consider all those factors before you make any decision about what to do with your Social Security. You know, but we suggest, you know, taking the time, sitting down with a professional, um, you know, familiar with Social Security and retirement income planning 
and making sure that you look at the whole picture and do some comprehensive retirement planning. I've read some interesting articles, and I'm curious on what you guys think think about. Um, you know, if you think about your total um, pool of assets, Social Security is is a is kind of like the fixed income piece. Yeah, it's an income piece, but it's guaranteed. So it's, it's guaranteed a fixed, fixed income. So technically, you could make your 401ks or your IRAs more aggressive because you got the fixed income that's feeding that income consistently, and then, um, you know, you can dial it down a little bit if you need to, but um, that's just a different way of looking at it. I think it's, a, you know, not many people come into our office, you know, talking like, hey, I want to be more aggressive with my investments um, as you go into retirement, but if you view the Social Security as fixed as a part of your bond portfolio, per se, you could do that. Yeah, it's part of your psychology of looking at retirement, like you said, and your investments. If you look at it all together, if you have great pensions, a pension is the same thing. It's a it's a fixed income piece of your total assets. And if you do a present value on, let's say you're getting a, a $2,500 pension every single month, that's $30,000 a year, you do a present value on that over the rest of your life, over 30 years, that's probably a half million or $600,000 asset. Set, that's all fixed mm-hmm. and guaranteed. <clears throat> so if you look at it in totality like that, you make a great point, John. That allows you to be more aggressive with your 401k money. And, you know, really you should look at it that way. You should look at all of your assets together and pieces that are that are guaranteed fi- income, fixed income. You know, those kind of take the place of having bonds in your portfolio. Yep. So, okay. Great discussion, guys. That leads up to our end of our show here. But if you have questions, you can email us anytime at info at moneymd.net. And uh, tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And do check us on our website, moneymd.net. We'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call during regular business hours. Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Ladies and gentlemen. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Securities sold through independent financial group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Me.